0: Hello, bonjour and welcome to the Don't Waste Water podcast. I'm your host, Antoine Valterre, and before welcoming my guest, I'd like to thank you. You've been almost 120,000 to tune in every Wednesday over the past six months, whether on LinkedIn or directly from your favorite podcatcher. To say I'm amazed is an understatement, and I want us to do even better in season two. This starts with you. If you like this show, grab your colleagues' phones and subscribe them to the podcast. Then, head over to LinkedIn and tag two of your peers in the infographic comments. This steady growth is what enables me to convince amazing guests to join me on the mic. We're in this together, guys. Speaking of amazing guests, I am thrilled to kick off this Season 2 with Elango Tevar. Elango is the founder and CEO of Near.ai, a startup that aims to redefine water management through artificial intelligence. In this episode, Elango will tell us why he left a really cushy job where he was making good money and this in the middle of a pandemic. He'll reveal how reading one book was a decisive trigger to leverage his 15-year corporate experience and make an impact that lasts. He'll tell us why you might be betting on the wrong horse today when you're planning your infrastructure works, especially if you're a smaller community, and how his technology will finally enable you to make the most out of every dollar you invest in upgrading your network. Last but not least, he'll explain how all of this allows you to cut your non-revenue water, improve your sustainability, and build for tomorrow. And trust me, listening to Elango, you will swiftly figure out why his company just got selected to join the Elemental Accelerator straight after completing Generator. All of this and more directly after the credits.
1: You're listening to Don't Waste Water, the podcast that helps water professionals to improve their wastewater treatment, optimize their operation costs, and keep up with the latest market trends. This podcast is brought to you by GF Piping Systems. As a leading supplier of piping systems made of plastics and metal, GF Piping Systems is the global expert for the safe and reliable transportation of water, chemicals, and gas. For more information, visit gfps.com.
0: Hi, Lango. Welcome to the show. I'm really glad you joined me today. I really like to start with a postcard, and I think you are in a beautiful place, Kansas City. How's the weather today? How's the city today? Antoine.
2: Thank you so much for bringing me on the show. Yes, I'm in Kansas City, Missouri. I've been here for the last 15 years. So the weather is beautiful here. It's nice and sunny, you know, so love it.
0: So what brought you to Kansas City? Actually, you said you're there for 15 years, but how did you end up being in Kansas City? And does that have something to do with your path?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in a very small town in India, uh, less than, you know, thousand people. And very very tip of the South India, and then you can actually see if you go to the ocean, you can probably see the Sri Lanka from there. So, I grew up there, a small town, until I was you know 15, and then I moved to another city called Chennai. Probably heard about uh, if you're in the water nerd, mm-hmm. you know the city is experiencing some water stress there. So I spent my bachelor's degree in Chennai for the six years there. Before I moved to United States for higher studies, so I came here for higher studies to do my master's degree in environmental engineering at Oklahoma State University, which is in Stillwater, Oklahoma. That's where I came to United States in 2002, and I was there for three years. Got my master's done, and then um, I worked for a very small laboratory, you know, uh, environmental lab slash kind of an engineering company. You know, they have a small engineering division, like a two-person team, so. I went and, you know, talked to the owner and, hey, I'm just, you know, I want to work for you. You know, you just want to grab the job that whatever you can get right after graduation. So I worked there for like uh, eight months, maybe nine, you know, almost it's like a close to a year. And I was, you know, go to different water and wastewater treatment plants. As a, my job is to grab samples and then bring back to the lab and analyze it, you know, the BOD, COD, and, you know, the chlorine residuals on the distribution systems, you know, the disinfection byproducts. That was the time the EPA was forcing a lot of regulations, you know, 2005. So bring those samples to the lab and analyze it and then, you know, help the communities of the water wastewater treatment plants to send the report to EPA, you know, the state uh, EPA pretty much. That's what I started my career in water and uh, in Kansas City, you know, my ex-girlfriend was actually, you know, pretty close to here. So I wanted to be closer to her. That's how I ended up in Kansas City. And I, I got a really a great job here, a big consulting firm. They're based in Boston, but they have a great office here in Kansas City. So that's how I transitioned from kind of a small kind of a engineering technician to, a, you know, full-blown engineer in 2005, September. You know, that's how I moved to Kansas City. I fell in love with the place. And I've been here for the last 15 years. My wife, you know, she grew up here, so I ended up, you know, settling down in Kansas City. So,
0: so you were like 15 years in the corporate world, and then all of a sudden, you move out from that corporate world and you create your own company near. How does that happen? <laughs> yeah,
2: you know, when I transitioned from that, you know, small engineering technician to a water resource engineer, that was my title. I really loved the, the digital modeling, you know, and then helping a lot of communities. And I was not kind of like, you know, what's next? It's always kind of like, okay, you know, are you happy or you want to do something different? So I went back to did part-time MBA around 2014 to 2016 while I was working full-time. And here in KC, this is University of Missouri, Kansas City, blocks grade school, MBA, you know, did MBA in entrepreneurship and uh, and finance. You know, that was my emphasis on. I had no idea how this is going to help with, you know, my job you know, uh, role, but uh, I really enjoyed the process of going through the MBA program, giving me the business perspective about, you know, why we do things, you know, what we do from organization level. And then I was still, you know, continue to work full time as a, you know, civil engineer, you know, slash was it management expert on the in the water sewers, uh, stormwater industry. It was great. And then starting of this year, I think I would say 3rd or March, I decided to leave my full time Job and you know start my own company. So I started near April, but I would say the triggering point in my life is I read this book called Trouble Water by Seth Siegel, which is uh, what's wrong with what we drink. It focuses on American water system. Uh, I don't know if you know Seth Siegel. He wrote a book called Let There Be Water before. He's a great author, and in that book, he talks about the challenges you know faced by the American water system in terms of the water main break and, and the water quality issues, the PFAS and all those stuff. I, you know, one of those pages, I was listening on the podcast. I didn't get the book hard copy at that time. And then he was talking about like, you know, how many water utilities in the United States. And then I, I'm, you know, I've been in the water industry for 15 years and I had no idea, no idea. There was 52,000 drinking water utilities, just the drinking water utilities. And then add the sewer water system and stormwater system, so we're getting very close to like a ninety thousand water sewer and stormwater system. So I bought the hard copy and then I looked the page number, you know, where the breakdown, you know, how many sizes, different utilities. I was like, okay, you know what, I'm done with being in a full time engineer, and I want to go and do something, build something, and help smaller, medium sized communities. That was the triggering point. So I left. I started here in April. Started. Building the platform especially triggered I mean to those communities that have been struggling to meet the modern tools and all those uh, meet the regulations and fix their water main break asset management and all this stuff so I needed to create something for those people, especially to because it's the it's almost embarrassing to be a water engineer and not to create something to help these communities so that's what I felt that you know, deeply emotionally, and that's why I left uh, and, and start this journey. So.
0: so you read the book, you get the epiphany, and when people would just spend years thinking about what they could do, you actually leave your job, you start a company, and not only do you start a company, but you're already in your second accelerator program. So it sounds like you must have, whether touched something and touched a nerve and really found something which is a big pain, or maybe you have a secret sauce or an extra talent or maybe a combination of those so <laughs> what's your secret sauce
2: no, there is nothing secret sauce i think uh, the it was probably the right timing i would say you know i mean i left like during pandemic i was supposed to leave in march but i left in like the uh, first week of april but in generator i mean that happened right away like in may you know be because of my mba definitely helped me you know what is the best way to actually build a company is where you can go raise money especially in the Midwest, in Kansas City, you cannot raise money because even like a very high growth companies, investors are very, very conservative risk averse, right? Because my MBA definitely helped me understand that kind of scene, you know, how the high tech companies like Uber, Airbnb, and that got, you know, built through VC's money and everything. So if you really want to build a kind of a massive change, you definitely need some help. The best way to start is to apply to some of those early stage accelerator program, they can actually help you get to the next level. You know, I mean, you know, I, I i left a really cushy job, you know, I was making good money, but this is the time that, you know, I really wanted to take risk and see, you know, what I can do with, you know, build, you can always go back and be an engineer, but this is the time that you want to experiment and fail fast, right? So mm-hmm. definitely the MBA background helped me and we just, I didn't waste any beat right after I left. I mean, we just started building like crazy, you know, uh, we, uh, nights and we... Weekends and apply to all these tech stars and all these programs and uh, generator happen and they they extremely you know great program I would say they are one of the you know top right neck to neck with the tech star program and great people there and they supported us first and we went through it's only twelve week very short program they just throw a lot of stuff at you and you're building the product and you're meeting the investors and you know you're also like trying to talk to a lot of communities you know because we didn't have a full blown product at that time. We have a clickable prototype. We just went to the cities and, and get some data so we can actually train the models and stuff like that. But
0: can we just deconstruct that? You say you had a prototype, but you realize that there are thousands of utilities and then you have a prototype. But in between you have been finding a pain, something that you wanted to solve. So what is it that you wanted to address at that moment?
2: Yeah, it was since I've been in the industry for a while, so I know that. The biggest pain point that I wanted to solve was a strategic long-term investment at the same time, understanding their operational challenges so that they can actually see what's happening in their system day to day. And then also Mm -hmm. strategically, they can invest long-term because you have all these problems that are happening in the network and the drink. Let's pick some examples like you're drinking water, right? So you have all this water main break, like you know, there's crazy statistics out there. In the United States and in Canada. And then you have a lot of leaks, you know, like 20 to 30 percent of the drinking water that gets lost. They have no idea where they are actually leaking. And then on top of it, you have this huge water main break on the water system. So if I'm a smaller utility, I have to the leaks is okay, I'm losing money, but that's not their topest priority. They just wanted to make sure they don't want to be on the news, you know. They don't want to be covered by, you know, the local TV that there is a water main break and hundred people out of water and somebody got injured, right? So they're dealing with a lot of these challenges day to day. And then on top of it, they have to invest into the future, you know, and then they're going, which pipe I should replace. They don't have any framework. They don't have any kind of asset management framework to how do I replace pipe in an organized way so that can benefit most from a dollar perspective. They are investing in the right locations and they are also getting the most benefit out of it. So that was kind of the first core product that I wanted to build is kind of a predictive asset management. Get the data from the community and extract intelligence out of it and provide that framework to them. Hey, you know, you should be investing in these locations first before even you start dealing with this stuff. And then once they keep continuing to collect the data, how their system, you know, how often they have a water main break, where they address the leaks, and we can be able to Extract intelligence. You know the pipe materials, the groundwater, soil type, and all those open source data. We can able to pinpoint and give them at least kind of a ninety percent confidence level. Hey, okay, this is how you should be actually investing long term, and also addressing your short term bottlenecks in this way, in an optimized way. That was the core product we wanted to build.
0: So that means that today it's like. They hope that they fix the right issues, but they don't really have a clue of what they are fixing or or in which order they shall be revamping the networks. I can give you an example. In France, there is an investment program which says that you should replace 0.5% of your network every year, which means you are betting that your network is gonna last 200 years. And that's just a bet and it's based on statistics. How is that in the US? And on top of that, is there a difference between a large utility and a smaller size utility? Would they address it the same way, or is it like you replace first your main lines and hopefully, if you still have some money or time left, you go to other branches? I think the problems are
2: the same. It doesn't matter how big you are and how small you are. In the AWWA, you know, American Water Works Association has 0.5%. Uh, it's very, very small <laughs> compared to what they're doing with some of the utilities, they, they want to achieve 1% here in you know, a Kansas City, Missouri, they, I think they are doing 1%. You have to have a less than 15 water main break every hundred miles of pipe here. They have some kind of a KPI, like a key performance indicators to you know go by. So if I'm a smaller utility, let's say like a 50,000 or less, they are struggling to even do 0.5% because their rate structure is, you know, skewed and they have to do more with the less amount of money they have. So even with the 0.5%, you have to come up with some kind of framework, okay, which 0.5% of the pipes I should be replacing, whether it's the age-based calculation, okay, this pipe has been underground for like 95 years, it's designed for 100 years, maybe we should replace this pipe in the next five years, or should we build a better model to say we can predict, oh, okay, that 95-year pipe could last maybe 120 years, you don't need to touch that pipe for the next 25 years, maybe go and replace some other pipe which installed in a bad soil condition, go and fix that. And maybe if it's installed between like a certain timeframe, like 1940 to 1950, the pipe manufacturers were manufacturing to the different standards at the time, maybe you should replace that pipe first. So giving them kind of a framework, kind of intelligence, you know, intelligence way that they can use that intelligence to go after the most riskiest pipe, even selecting that 0.5% to optimize it. In smaller utilities, you would be surprised. I mean, I don't know how in France they do it, what kind of models they use, especially on the drinking water side. I think the predictive analytics started from France, you know, because if I remember right, you know, they are the one actually built the LE, OAU, the algorithm there to collecting all this data sets, like actually you can you know, optimize your investment a lot of companies like you know Modern, you know Fracta and Water, they they kind of use borrow that technology, and uh, we also rely on that a little bit. So smaller communities is challenging because one he has all this institutional knowledge, and he tells the water director, okay, we should be replacing this pipe, we should be replacing that pipe based on what he observes on the field. So we need to capture all those institutional knowledge somehow, otherwise it will be lost when he retires. So those kind of stuff that you know when we go there, we actually educate the water directors and and sewer directors that we can actually do this in a better way. And it will save tremendous amount of money and resources for the communities in a long term.
0: So what is this better way? What is this better model that you've been scratching a bit? I guess, I hope that's near, but (laughs) how does that work? Yeah.
2: So we go to the community and then we tell them, hey, there is a better way to do this. Let's use some of the modern tools like machine learning. The technology is there. Let's collect as much as data as possible. You know, whatever the data you have, you know, you have 50% data, 60% data, that's fine. Let's get all the data, your physical information, your location, you know, your X and Y coordinates, your, you know, fire hydrants and, you know, your your uh, all the nodes, water meters, you know, pipe, installation date, if you have them, and thickness of the pipe, we can, you know, so we, we get all this information, whatever the information they have, and then we able to collect the data and then we normalize the data, meaning that, no utility has 100% of the data, you know, so they may have 90%. Some utilities may have like a 40% of the data, but we're able to make a best engineering judgment, you know, populating those missing information. We get to that full data set and then based on their experience on the field in the last five years, even if they have a paper map, so we can be able to capture those information into the near platform and we train the models, uh, you know, meaning we different, different algorithm to see. Can we use this information to validate these failures using the model? And then we can extrapolate what's going to happen, the rest of the system. Instead of you writing your program to tell, okay, soil is affecting 20%, groundwater is affecting like 10%, and if the pipe is like near hospital, I give you 20%. You're, instead of explicitly you're programming all this stuff, why don't we just give the all these variables to the computer? Let's the computer make the best decision for us. And then we can continue to validate that on the field and continue to get better over time so that and then the communities can use that intelligence. So that's kind
0: of what we do. Talking about the data, what is the typical data that you, you see is always missing? Is there something that you see a kind of a trend or consistently that data is missing?
2: <laughs> it's so uh, you know, that's a great question, but we don't have a tremendous amount of clients yet. But based on few customers that we have. We have a whole, huge spectrum. You know, we have seen utilities; they don't have any GIS data. We have to convert them into GIS, and we have this other system that have pretty much everything that we wanted, but it's not standardized. Meaning that if it's a you know PVC pipe, and then they somebody will enter you know polyvinyl chloride, you know, and somebody will just set like you know PVC and and in you know, small caps and you know large caps. So there is no consistency among the pipe material. So there is no standardization in the industry, which is kind of sad. Typically the missing information, even some, you know, invert elevation will be missing. A lot of invert elevation will be missing. Pipe material will be missing. And the thickness of the pipe, which is critical, you know, that will be missing. And even installation date, especially the our customer targets, they they are missing a lot of installation date. And that's kind of the the core, you know, they have X and Y where they are, but there's a lot of variables that's been, you know, missing. Kind of a even basic, rim elevation. You know the top of the the ground elevation. So there is no consistency. But I think uh, some of the larger systems they do have some kind of a. You know I wouldn't say they standardized everything, but at least they are, they are very close to be there. To they they can actually use the data with the very minimal data manipulation. You can actually we can start training the data set. But other data we need a lot of cleaning just to make sure to get to that standardization of the data. So.
0: And what is the shape of this data? Is it fully digital data or do you still have physical data? I'm asking you, because in Europe, you would typically, if you go to an utility and you ask, where's your data? I mean, most of them, they would just bring you to a, a room full of binders and say, hey, here, there's everything we did for the last 200 years. But there's no chance to find, and even if that data is accurate, there's no chance you find the data you're looking for.
2: I would say most of the data that we get is all GIS, you know, geographic information system, they all digitized, you know, at least 90 to 95% of the data. I mean, some states in the United States, the state EPA with the Rural Water Association, they funded this digitization of, you know, GIS converting their paper maps to the GIS in the last, you know, 10, 15 years. So which is Certain states are more advanced in the United States compared to other states. Mm-hmm. And some utilities, especially small utilities, they do have some paper maps. But I think converting from the paper maps to the digital GIS information is a, it's a huge value for them, right? I mean, you don't need to do any machine learning. You know, They just, <laughs> let's convert that the pipe to the, you know, the, the GIS and show them, you know, uh, digitally, you know, where they, how they can interact with this feature. So it's a huge. So, so we do have a very minimal number of those clients, but not a whole lot. I think, you know, 90, 95% of the systems already digitized, you know, especially with the, with the ArcGIS growth in the last 15 years, you know, QGIS and you know, all of the free tools available. So they able to convert those, you know, I mean, but there's a lot of data missing on the digitized data set. So, uh, which is okay, we can, we can populate that using some machine learning tools.
0: So you consolidate all the, all of that data into your, your tool, and uh, with machine learning you can fill the gaps if there are some... But that is still static data. What about dynamic data? Do you also integrate this aspect of things like measurements on the network, leveraging, I don't know, IoT, to use some, some big buzzwords, but how do you bring this, uh, this into motion?
2: Yeah, we we start with the, you know, the static data first. In the utilities that we're targeting, they don't have a tremendous IoT sensors data yet. So the real-time kind of a modeling and, you know, understanding they have maybe water meters, but that they are not collecting every 15 minutes. You know, they collect drive-by. They still use drive-by to collect once a month data set on the drinking water. They may have maybe one or two pressure sensors, you know, on the DMA, the the district, in you know, monitoring area or uh, the zones, the pressure zones. So they don't have a lot of IoT sensors yet. So from that perspective, the dynamic data, once I think the, we have to start somewhere. So we give them, we predict all the risk in the system first. That's kind of the long-term strategic. And then, and the path, the next is just to, moving towards that dynamic data. You know, okay, I have only one pressure sensors in one location. Can we use this pressure sensor to identify, pinpoint exactly whether I have a leak in certain locations? And the answer is yes. You know, we can build a model to, if you have a pressure sensors, you know, we can actually see if there is a sudden drop in pressure. One pressure sensor is not going to help you. But if you have two pressure sensors in the network, we can actually pinpoint X and Y where the leak is actually happening, you know? So... Some of the utilities, they are not there yet. Again, you know, it's a process. But I think uh, we want to bring them all those communities, you know, affordable technology tools to that finish line that they have high level of visibility that they can, uh, you know, use on not only the long term strategic asset management perspective, but also understanding, okay, I know there is a leak is going to happen or a leak is happening today. Maybe that's like, you know, maybe one gallons per minute or something like that. If we can pinpoint that, they can go ahead and fix it without installing a lot of acoustic sensors in the network and be able to pinpoint that and then be able to, you know, continue to optimize this model as we build intelligence out of it. It's not gonna be like a day one they get, they know exactly where the leaks are, but I think it's a process, right? Some utilities they do have a lot of sensors, so we can actually convert them right away, you know, using the existing data sets they have to build that model right away based on the data and then being able to pinpoint, you know, where the problem is going to occur before they can address it. And it will be, it will be a huge value for them. But I think uh, from the smaller utilities, which is my passion is, you know, we need to bring these communities to where they need to be in the next, at least the next year or two.
0: So that means if the data they have is fully static, what you can do is still make a, a full modeling of the network and tremendously help them with the predictive maintenance. And as soon as you add this kind of dynamic data to the pot, then you can go into leak detection because that helps you to have a look on the network. But that's still not the majority of the utilities which are in, into that dynamic level. But can you maybe give them some advice to say, okay, if you had to put a couple of sensors according to the model, according to what you know about the network, you would put them here and here. And therewith, you would have the best lever to improve in the future. Is it your aim as well?
2: Yeah, we can do that right now. I mean, uh, we can, you know, we have a simple algorithm to predict, you know, based on their DMA and see. C- Because if you have, you know, pressure sensors are very affordable, you know, acoustic, then, you know, your your flow sensors and, and, you know, other sensors. The the goal is to use the pressure sensors to pinpoint the leaks uh, if the pressure is down in two different locations and can able to correlate exactly where they are. So we can optimize their, you know, give them suggestions like you're saying where they should be putting sensors in. I mean, sensors are the key thing, you know. I mean, most of the software runs on hardware. So, when we go to the client, we don't tell them, "Hey, you need this many sensors to for our platform to work." You know, we just get to work right away based on whatever the data they have. And then once we provide that long-term strategic risk profile of the entire system, and then we will say, "Okay, if you really want better, this is what you should be installing your sensors at affordable cost, and then be able to do this, be able to do this." You know, so. And then they, they get excited, you know, okay, if you can do with whatever the data we have with this, and if you put like a few sensors in here, and then we're able to do that, because sensors are very, very affordable now, you know, uh, we're talking about $20 a month, even if they put like 10 different sensors, it's only like $200, $300 a month. So they get excited, you know, I think uh, they, they're looking for tools that actually empower these communities. And I, I think we believe that Nia can, you know, do that. So
0: You mentioned the, the machine learning aspect. You also mentioned it doesn't happen from the first seconds that you can get the full set of data. So what are we talking here? It's like they start using NIR and, and the next day they get value. What is the aha moment and the, the whoa effect? <laughs> is it rather after one day, after one week, after one month, longer? When is this moment where this, they really realize, oh, gosh, NIR helps me so much?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. It depends on where they are in the data set. If, say, like, if they have a digital data and they have like a 40 or 50% of the data is, most of the data is there. And then we just need to fill out the next 50% of the data, the, the, the missing information. Then we can get the results within like eight weeks, within eight weeks, provide that risk spectrum of the entire assets. And say like if they have an 80 to 90% of the data, everything is complete. And then there's only 10%, we can get like a, you know, five to six weeks we can turn around and give that risk spectrum. And if they don't have any GIS information, need to convert it into paper maps and then it's going to take at least six months for them to provide the, the first aha moment like you're talking about, the risk spectrum of the entire uh, you know, network and be able to go to the mayor or the city council to see, hey, this is the risk we are dealing with and this is where we should be addressing our investing of dollars here and here. So that will happen depending on where they are with the data. Uh, it happened as quick as possible, like five weeks, or it could happen probably like uh, three to six months based on you know, where they are at. But I think we are working on a product. I don't want to delve deep into it, but I think our goal is to turn around within 24 hours. It doesn't matter how small or how big your uh, utilities, as long as you have, you know, certain data, like a 40 or 50% of the data, we can maybe make it, you know, within 24 hours. So that's what we believe the industry can tremendously benefit.
0: How... Can I imagine your service? If I'm the director of uh, the public works in a small to middle sized community, I start working with NIR. First thing you do is you check my data. We see together if it's this ten percent or fifty percent which are missing. I'm now skipping the part that I might not have a gist. I say I have a gist, and then you start working with that. But do I have to understand that? Is it my gist that in- integrates into near or is it near that integrates into my gist? What is my touch point?
2: Yeah, we can integrate with any system they have. you know if you have if you use work order management software, you know you're documenting all your digital information, that's kind of a little advanced communities like and you know, if you go to fifty thousand to one hundred thousand or even higher. They you know, definitely document everything digitally. They have a good ArcGIS, good you know, CityWorks, Lucidity, or CardiGraph, the kind of platform there. Uh, we can integrate directly through API to bring that data directly into our platform. So they don't need to manually, here is my GIS data, go and figure it out. But we can connect that dynamic like you're talking about. So every time somebody did something in the database, they are documenting where okay, there is a leak, and then we can pull that information right away. It can be synced with it. So, that's one approach. You know, if they don't have any digital work order management, they just have a GIS, ArcGIS, they are documenting it. We can also connect in you know, ArcGIS online to our platform or wherever they are storing uh database, simple shape files or anything like that, we can refresh that data. And we also, you know, talking with if they don't have any work order management, you know, which is which is I'm finding it really <laughs> Really, you know, some of the utilities, why utilities, they don't even have a, you know, good work order management software, you know. So we're talking with a few partners that we can actually, you know, help these communities to. Because we cannot do, you know, we cannot digitize the entire city's, you know, operations. You know, our focus is water, right? But we definitely want to help them through partnerships so they can go from digital everything and then near kind of fits on top of it. So
0: that's the feeding loop. So the data feeds into NIR. NIR makes the, the, the modeling and gives some, Advices? How do I get these advices back? Is it like on the same GIS I'm using, I see this part is in red, so I should act, and this part is in green, so I should put it out of my plan because that pipe is fine for the next 50 years? How is it?
2: Yeah, it, it, it's, uh, you know, we have a different data format, you know, they can download, which is GIS, again, shapefiles or the file database or even Excel or CSV, you know, list of all these pipes and score. I mean, the the best option is, you know, the shape files or GeoJSON file formats. They can actually see it in the GIS, you know, whatever they're using, QGIS or ArcGIS, they can map it out. And then because what they really want to do is they can go ahead, talk to their operational team, you know, how they operate. You don't need to do all this cleaning here, just clean here, clean here, clean here. We can optimize your operations. And then they can go to the city council or the mayor. You know, we need big dollars to invest in this location because this is the riskiest asset that could fail in the near term. So the maps, definitely the the shapefiles and, you know, our GeoJSON format, you know, definitely helps convey that message to their operational team and also their financial team and their city manager and uh, all the higher up people that, you know, who wanted to see this.
0: And you market near as a software, as a service, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So... You mentioned that you already have s- some customers, which is amazing when you think that your company is not even one year old. Uh, but I think that's part of the fast iteration, fast experimentation process. How far are you right now with the spread out of near? How many customers are we talking here?
2: I don't disclose how many customers we have today, but I think... Uh, I
0: was expecting that uh, answer.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I apologize for that. But I think, uh, you know, we are uh, we're still a young company. You know, we are still a startup. I mean... I can tell you, we don't have a lot of customers. You know, I mean, I don't know what that means, but um, but I think uh, each individual customer that we have, everybody's excited about these tools, and uh, you know, we wanted to grow organically. You know, we don't want to push the growth too fast. We just wanted to. The most important thing for me as the CEO of the company is to help as many communities as possible, as fast as possible, as cheap as possible. And and I think we are on the right track, you know, our platform is maturing, you know, we are adding a lot of features our customers are asking. So we're still in in a young cycle. We're still still trying to figure out our product market fit, you know. So you said like we have only less than a year, but since, you know, I spent quite some time in this industry kind of helps accelerate that a little bit. But I think we are still in a small team. We wanted to grow organically and make sure we can provide value to our existing customers. So
0: I'm going to make an understatement. 2020 has been a special year. How does this special year play on near? I mean, if you are in the business of having a restaurant, 2020 is the worst year ever. But I could imagine that being working in, into helping this smaller community to go into digitization, that's exactly what they experienced. They were m- probably missing uh, in the month of lockdown or wh- whatever kind of, of reaction there was to, to the pandemic. Did you see these kind of things influencing your your early development?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, pandemic, I think, I would say it's flat. It's probably people realizing it's the value of digitization and, you know, understanding their bottleneck in the system, you know, investment. Definitely not like a restaurant industry you mentioned it's kind of flat because people definitely need water. They have to flush the toilet, you know, they have to address flooding. It's kind of flat. Maybe there is a lot more talk that, okay, maybe this is the time that we should actually modernizing our, you know, water infrastructure, not only from the local level, but the state level and all the way, you know, up to the federal level, even predicting this pandemic using, you know, some sampling in the, in the wastewater. So I think we are getting a lot of, in acceleration towards the modernization of the, you know, water. And when I say water, including water, wastewater and stormwater industry, definitely this is going to push the industry forward much faster rate in the next five years. That's kind of my opinion. But this year, Oh, this is a great year for, I can't tell, like, you know, this is a great year for us. It's just kind of flat because we're still trying to figure out our, you know, our product market fit, you know, what our client, what is their pain point? You know, like, are they really, you know, care about machine learning or they just, you know, wanted to see, or just give me, I don't, I don't care, you know, I mean, this is awesome, but I just need uh, this one, one every once every five years. I don't want it like every month, you know, so we're just still trying to figure out what is our product market fit. So I wouldn't say it's a great year, but so far, it's, you know, it's been a very positive experience in the Elemental. We haven't even talked about Elemental, but it's a great help for us to understand, you know, we are in the first go-to-market track, which is what that means is understanding what your customer segment is understanding, you know, what their main pain point is, are you building the right tools they need, you know, so it's a very early on for us to even say, well, we have a decent year, I would say we are very excited about 2021.
0: You are strongly involved in your local community. I mean, at least in Missouri, I, I've seen that you're you're making some move there to provide near to small community around your your, your home base. What is your, your plan for rollout? Is it uh, first Missouri, then maybe Kansas, or directly the full state, and the word is the limit, what is your first <laughs> target?
2: <laughs> so we're targeting uh, Midwest, you know, not only Missouri, but Missouri, Kansas, you know, Iowa, Nebraska, you know, that's our core states that we are targeting. We wanted to expand here first. The rest of the United States, we are organically getting clients. They're actually asking, you know, can you help us? And, you know, there's uh, other companies reaching out to us that maybe they can use our product to, you know, help their communities or their clientele. So, Again, we just wanted to make sure that we are ready for the growth, you know. So um, we just, you know, like I said, we're still early on trying to make sure that we build the right product, make sure we can handle all the traffic on the back end to support all those services. So we are very choosy and very picky, you know, just to make sure we are growing. But I think next year will be kind of a, we'll understand who really our clients are and how we want to grow. But as far as, you know, growth for overseas, we're also are getting a lot of inquiries from overseas, but we are not there yet. And my goal, I mean, like a long-term goal is to hopefully every community on this planet can use NEAR to plan their water infrastructure, planning long-term and short-term, and, and create this uh, um, affordably. You know, that's the key here. It's not that we are cheap. I think we, are, we provide a tremendous value to what we provide, but I think the price has to be right to modernizing the digital water sector. That's my opinion. So. If you're building a tool that just works for, you know, only like 200 cities, bigger cities in the, in the entire world, in my opinion, that's not revolutionary. That's not change. We need to make sure the change happens at the bottom level. And my vision is to bring that change to every community, especially the, you know, the, the people that who, who need desperate help.
0: That's a very ambitious uh, vision and very beautiful vision, I have to say, but, but very ambitious. What is your intended path? to go there. I mean, is it like the the startup scale up unicorn path or rather the the steady growth, uh, which leads you step by step to that end goal?
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, we just, like I said, you know, we just step by step, you know, it's not like we want to fly right away. I I think we just want to crawl before we walk. Um, We wanted to make sure that we provide tremendous value to our clients, existing clients and, and the clients that we take in. I think once you figure that out, you can scale in any number of ways, right? The scaling is not the problem. I think you just want to make sure that all the product that you wanted to build or integrate, all the features that will help these smaller communities and empower them. And once you figure that out next year, the scaling is you can scale through partnership. You can scale through other software companies. You don't need to put a lot of boots on the ground. You know, even overseas now, nowadays, especially the water, you know, transformation in the industry. We we are getting tremendous traction. I mean, you know, kudos to all those programs, Imagine H2O, Elemental, Water Council in Milwaukee, and, uh, you know, even Europe, I see tremendous opportunities there from UK to all the way to France as well. Imagine H2O is also in Asia. So the industry is going really, you know, fast transformation, I believe. So I think uh, we wanted to be the technology provider, especially, you know, we wanted to be the artificial intelligent platform for water, sewer, and stormwater industry. It doesn't matter where you are. We can reach that point in five years that's kind of my vision we're going to figure this out and you know we have a great team we have you know great support from elemental from generators so i'm very excited about this opportunity and and transformation we can make you know the technology is there the vision is there and we just need to bring this utilities to the finish line
0: (laughs) well i think that makes for a perfect summary for that part and i just checked my calendar and I'm free in five years from now, so we we can make the 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 follow-up interview just to check if you if you reach that goal. And Elango, if it's fine with you, I'd propose you to switch to the rapid fire questions. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah.
1: It's time for the Rapid Fire Questions.
0: There, um, the rule is pretty simple. I try to keep the question short and uh, you have to try to keep the answers short. I'm not cutting the microphone if you want to be a bit longer, but that's the spirit. And usually I'm the one which is making it much longer than it should. So my first question is, what is the most exciting project you've been working on and why? All
2: the projects I'm working on exciting man. It's like asking like, which child is your favorite? So I'm very excited about all the projects. Each client is different, but uh, I love them all.
0: Fair. Fair. I, I'll take that one. <laughs> What's your favorite part of your current job? It's the finish line, right?
2: When you provide those risk score to the client, and then they come back and tell you, "Hey, we've been missing this for a long time." You know, this is actually mayor and and councilman comes and and says, "Okay, this is this is amazing." You know, this is what we really need. I live for that that moment. So that kind of excites me every day.
0: So when is the last time that that happened to you? Uh, I would say that happened to me probably two months ago. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is the trend to watch out for in the water industry? Elemental, you know,
2: imagine H two O, and uh, paying attention to the conferences, you know, WEF and AWWA. And water industry is very very small, so you can't miss a beat. You know, if you plugged into one entity, then you kind of like know them also. Just uh, pay attention to all those water, you know, startup programs out there. And also just pay attention to the conferences and pay attention to some big players like Inesuias you know, and Asylum and, you know, uh, those guys, what they do and uh, it will be covered. So
0: <laughs> let me take you to a sidetrack. I told you, I'm always the one making it longer than it should. You know, there's the big players and there's the startups. And um, I'm not sure if that has always been the case or if that's pretty recent. What is your take there? are the startups in the water world a new thing or have they always been around
2: i think it's always been around we are getting so much traction now because you know people talking about social impact investment you know i mean it is still not compared to other industries like power industry or anything like that i think uh, we've seen how you know, make our life much easier, like, you know, the Airbnb, Uber, and all those, you know, high growth Google and everything, you know, that happened in the last, you know, first 10 years, 15 years. Now you sit back and realize, holy cow, you know, we've done all this stuff, you know, we have a Slack, you know, we have, you know, HubSpot for marketing, you know, all this, this is great tools. But at the end of the day, we have to invest in, you know, hard infrastructure that makes these, you know, at the end of the day, we all live in communities and we need water to survive. So, I think people are realizing we are getting to the point that what is important for, you know, for our lives. And that's the time that, you know, we live in today. So we are going to see a lot of investment in water sector, uh, especially in the social impact, you know, arena. So there's always been the, you know, water startups and the bigger players, but uh, now we are getting to the point, the technology is there, the money is there. And then also the, the communication, the platform, like, you know, um, Twitter and Facebook and, you know, all those tools making it, you know, uh, making it, uh, I think uh, it's pretty big. I think that's kind of my opinion, but I don't know.
0: It's a good time to be around, uh, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What is the thing you care about the most when you're working on a new project? And what is the one you care the least about? I
2: care about most the client motivation, their vision for the city or for, for their utilities, you know, short term and long term. That, that's the most thing I care about. And the least we care about is the data. It doesn't matter where they are with the data. We can get them, where, you know, to the finish line. It's a client motivation. You know, the client has to be excited. You know, in my opinion, to see what we see as the industry vision. And uh, if they are excited, even if they don't have any money, you know, I, w- I will work with them. You know,
0: so <laughs> great. Well, you, you already mentioned a couple, so I'm, I'm going to ask you for all the ones. So my question is: Do you have sources to recommend to keep up with the latest water and wastewater trends?
2: Yeah, there's, you know, a lot of research there, Bluefield Research, you know, water online news. And, and like I said, it's very, very small. Bluefield Research is a great thing. They have a tremendous report, you know, where the United States market is. I mean, especially I, I pay a lot of attention to the United States market and internationally. Also, you know, the Water Resources Institute. And, you know, there is uh, there's a lot of, you know, online. That, I mean, you just need to type in something in uh, YouTube and, and uh, Google. You're going to see <laughs> Yeah, you're going to see everything, whatever you see. I think there's a lot of podcasts like yourself. You know, you're doing an amazing job. And I've uh, looked into all your previous podcasts. Now, there's a lot of water podcasts also coming out, so which is nice. People are talking about it. And, uh, you know, you bring in all these people, visionaries in the industry that, you know, what they can automate and how they can improve the process that we've been doing for the last, you know, 50, 60 years in the water industry. So everything is uh, pretty easy nowadays to get, What's coming up next? you know what's the next big thing in the water? so
0: talking of those people, would you have someone to recommend me to invite to that same microphone just after you? <laughs> you know
2: I started this company because of Seth Seagull, so he's uh, I think he's approachable he's not an, uh, I think he's an author of Let There be Water and uh, uh, mm-hmm. "You know trouble water, so I think you should invite invite him you know that's my recommendation. I don't know him personally, so I can't, you know, make the warm intro for you, but uh, I think he's pretty, pretty approachable based on, you know, uh, if you ask him, you know, send him a message on Twitter, I think he will be more than happy to do it.
0: I'm going to give it a try and let's see. I mean, if he was able to inspire uh, you to, to but create yeah, if, uh, if he is, if he's not available, talk to Kim
2: Baker, Elemental, the Director of Water Innovation. She's great. I don't know if you already interviewed her or not, but she's No, great. I didn't, so.
0: but uh, I saw a couple of interviews of her, so... Yeah, she's uh, she's a
2: champion of water. She's doing amazing in Elemental. She sees eight hundred applications a year. So, you know, if you really want to talk about trends, you know, you just pick up the phone and call her. Hey, what you what you've been seeing? Um, and she's she's amazing. Uh, I think yeah, I think you should invite both. You know, and see which one I'm willing to give uh, time for for
0: you. Good. Thank thanks a lot for the advice. Actually, Elango, you've been an awesome guest. Where can people find you online?
2: Uh LinkedIn is kind of uh, you know very active in LinkedIn. You know, uh, Ilango paper, or you know, or come to near near website. You know, you can find all the social media links. And you know, I'm there in Twitter and LinkedIn. Or you can also email me Ilango at near AI. So at I'll
0: put all of that in the episode notes, so um everybody can can have those those contacts. I mean, Ilango, thanks a lot for your time. That was uh, really really Interesting to me discussing with you. I hope I didn't bother you too much with my French accent and French questions, but <laughs> that was a pleasure.
2: <laughs> no, no worries. My my son learned French. I'm not French. My wife is not French, but my son goes to a French school and he speaks French. And I believe it. I'm not so. You didn't bore me at all. So love love the language. I've been there a couple of times in in France. So love the country. Great European, you know, architecture. So. Not at all, but thanks for inviting me, I uh, appreciate it. And uh, one last thing is, you know, you didn't ask the question, but "near" is water in my language. It's a Tamil, it's you know, 80 million people speak in South Indian language, "Near" is just water. So that's kind of uh, my plug to my language, so.
0: It's really great that you you explained that because I wasn't even thinking that would have a, a meaning. And actually you're, you're right, I should have asked. Nice, nice story behind the name, cool. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. I think uh, you're doing an amazing job and thanks for, you know, you, what you do. You need it for the industry to brainstorm and, and see what, you know, what everybody's doing. So um, yeah. Thank you so much for this opportunity.
0: Thanks a lot.
1: Thanks for listening to Don't Waste Water. This podcast was brought to you by GF Piping Systems. Loved this episode? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. See you next time.